This is Manna at Valley Baptist Church. Together, we take an in-depth, expository look at God's Word. So open your Bible and join us as we do life together. And now, here's Brad Hannick. Fellow students, if you would open your Bibles to Numbers 27. Numbers 27, we're almost near the end of our study in the book of uh, Numbers. Next week, Lord willing, we'll finish up with the, um, with the death of Moses and the obituary of Moses, which is found at the end of Deuteronomy. Israel's in the last couple of months of their 40-year journey through the wilderness from Egypt to Canaan, Rob is going to show you a map of uh, this wilderness journey, and you're going to notice it's quite an extended journey. Uh, they have uh, had a lot of uh, twists and turns and detours and delays on this journey. They're right at the very end on the upper right-hand corner of the map. You're going to see a little red line, and you'll see Mount Nebo and Jericho and, and uh, uh, the Dead Sea. So they have gone uh, from Egypt down to Mount Sinai at the base of the the Triangle, the Sinai Peninsula. They've gone up to Kadesh Barnea where they had a disastrous refusal to obey God and uh, wandered for 40 years, went down to Elot, which is the Red Sea, and then came back on the east side of the Jordan River. And they're camped right now in the plains of Moab uh, near Mount Nebo on the east side of the Dead Sea. Moses is within about three or four months of his death. He's physically strong, his eye is clear, but he's 120 years old. He's been leading Israel for the last 40 years, and God has just told him that it's time for him to leave the scene as leader and to die. It's very comforting that we have a God who has a plan, that nothing surprises, and it's even more comforting when God deems it best to share what his plan with us is. So let's pick up the narrative, if you will, Numbers 27, verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go up to this mountain of Abraham, and see the land which I have given to the sons of Israel. When you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother was. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to treat me as holy before their eyes at the water. These are the waters of Meribah, of Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin. Here's the principle. Some choices create unchangeable consequences. But for God's people, God's grace causes all things to work together for good. Some choices create unchangeable consequences, irrevocable consequences. But for God's people, God's grace causes all things to work together for good. Now Moses' great sin caused God to refuse him entrance into the land, but the Lord in his mercy was going to let Moses see the land. Remember that Moses and Aaron had dishonored God at Meribah, at the waters, when they pridefully took credit for the miracle of water from the rock. Remember, they didn't have any water in the desert. God told Moses, go speak to the rock, and I will create water from nothing from this rock, and the people's faith will be in me, and I will receive glory, and their faith will be strengthened by this miracle. Of course, Moses did not speak to the rock. He struck to the rock. He struck the rock and he told Israel that he and Aaron were the ones who were bringing water for them. So he took credit for the miracle that only God could do and they exalted themselves and devalued God by taking credit for this miracle. So that was failing to treat God as holy in the sight of the nation because they took credit for the miracle. Moses also lost his temper, yelled at the people. And they thought that God was angry with them because Moses was angry with them. Moses got frustrated. Moses had had a lifelong temper problem, and he unloaded the boat on them, called them rebels, and shall we bring water for you from the rock? So he not only dishonored God by taking credit for the miracle, he misrepresented God. So the people of Israel had a view of God that was not accurate. Now, Moses had been talking with God face to face for decades. So the people looked at Moses and said, whatever God is like, it must be like you because you've been hanging out with God face to face for years. When Moses sinned, 
He didn't honor God and he gave the people a misunderstanding of the nature of God. Now remember, leaders are held to a higher standard. And this sin was so serious that God refused to let Moses enter the promised land. And there was no changing God's mind. This was a sin that was irrevocable. The consequences in this life lasted the rest of his life. This sin was forgiven, obviously, but God did not remove the consequences. And as we will see, God in his grace already did have a better plan. And you and I have to remember that because we all make decisions, good or bad, that have consequences. And some of the decisions we make are irrevocable. You can't undo the past. Whatever decisions we make in the past are done. Now, God's grace is greater than those circumstances. God's grace is greater than our consequences. But it doesn't mean he's going to remove the consequences. It means he can take those consequences and use them for his good, Romans 8, 28, and our good as well. Now, God was going to let Moses see the promised land. He was really showing Moses, number one, this land exists, right? Nobody had seen the promised land in 400 years. Israel had been in Egypt for 400 years. So God said, there's this beautiful land, land of milk and honey. No one had seen it. God said, Moses, you're the first one who's going to see it. You're going to see it before you die. You're going to the top of Mount Nebo and looking at it. You're not going in, but you're going to see it before anybody else in the children of Israel is going to see it. And he was demonstrating to Moses it did exist, and it was a good land. And God was demonstrating Moses, look, it's my supernatural power that got you out of Egypt, that carried you 40 years through the wilderness, that got you to the land, and I'm going to take the children of Israel into the land. I'm going to lead them in. I'm going to enable them to conquer it and possess it. I think the last thing that God was trying to demonstrate to Moses by letting him see the land was to demonstrate to Moses that he hadn't wasted 40 years of his life in the wilderness. You know, it's been a hard 40 years, a difficult 40 years, but it's worth it because God's people are now going to actually go into the land and possess it just as God had promised. And we know a little bit about Moses' mindset at this point in time because Psalm 90 one of the great Psalms records a prayer of Moses that he wrote in the wilderness during this 40-year period. Moses had to watch an entire generation of Israelites die off over a 40-year period, somewhere around 1.2 million people over that 40-year period. And Psalm 90 reflects this, this awareness and this knowledge of the certainty of death and the shortness of life. So he begins by acknowledging that God, eternal God, is the true dwelling place of God's people. Moses reflects in this psalm the shortness of human life and the futility of human life due to sin. And he asks God to visit his people and bring them joy in his presence. And at the very end of this psalm, he makes a very interesting request. He says, God, confirm for us the work of our hands. In other words, let us know that we haven't wasted our lives wandering around in the desert for 40 years. God told Moses, I'm going to bring my people into the land, just like I promised. And Moses, you have been faithful in leading them this far. By the way, this journey should have taken two years. One year at Mount Sinai and about a year at Kadesh and traveling. It took 40 years because they refused to believe God at Kadesh Barnea and rebelled against him. You and I have all wasted time in our life because of our disobedience, our unwillingness to listen. Stuff has taken a lot longer than it probably should have in God's plan because we have failed to obey at that point. The first generation of Israelites who died in the desert, they wasted 40 years of their life. They could have been in the land 38 years earlier, but the price of disobedience is always greater than what we think. Pastor Roger says what? Sin costs more than you're willing to pay, keeps you longer than you want to stay. I forget the third one, but... Takes you further than you want to go. Isn't that the truth? It is absolutely true. Many people on our deathbed 
regret the years that they've wasted because they refused to follow God. Here's the solution. Going forward, obey today and don't delay. Whatever God tells you to do, just do it. Not difficult to comprehend, but it requires humility and obedience. Don't miss out on the blessings of obedience. Don't miss out on the blessings of obedience. They are vast. Eternal God has massive things planned for his people if they will just follow him by faith. So Moses has just been told by God, you're not going into the land, you're going to see it. And how he responds to that disappointing news is very convicting to me. Verse 15. Then Moses spoke to the Lord saying, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them and who will lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep who have no shepherd. Here's the principle. Shepherd leaders put the needs of those they serve before their own desires. Shepherd leaders put the needs of those they serve before their own desires. Moses has a heart of a shepherd, and it shines really bright and clear right here. He's just been told, you're not going to enter into the promised land. Your 40-year dream of bringing this is this nation across the Jordan into the land is not going to happen, and it's been shattered, and how does he respond? He doesn't think about himself at all. He is thinking about the people he loves and what they need. By the way, leading Israel has not been a cakewalk. Leading Israel for 40 years has been extraordinarily difficult. God intended twice to destroy Israel, once at Mount Sinai and once at Kadesh Barnea. I mean, wipe them out and start over with Moses. And Moses interceded with the Lord and said, Lord, please forgive them. Please forgive them. And for that intercession, did he get gratitude from the nation of Israel? Uh, no. They whined, they complained, they bellyached, they criticized, they threatened to stone him. But he remained a faithful and tender shepherd. And Moses knows that Israel needs godly leaders in the same way that sheep need good shepherds. Throughout Scripture, God describes us people as like sheep. That is not a compliment. It is the nature of sheep to wander away from the shepherd. That's the nature of sheep. It's the nature of sheep to get lost. It's the nature of sheep to harm themselves. It's also the nature of people. You look back through this 40-year period, Israel has strayed away from the Lord on multiple occasions. And that's with a leader as obedient and competent and humble as Moses. And they still strayed away from the Lord on multiple occasions. So it's pretty clear that people need shepherding. And God calls out shepherds to lead. Now, it's interesting. Most leaders want to choose their own successors, right? I mean, they want to perpetuate what they believe is important. Moses doesn't do that. Moses asks God to choose his successor. He's just been told, you're going to die. You're not going to lead this nation to the land. He immediately thinks about what does the nation need? What, is the, what do the sheep of Israel need? And he said, Lord, choose a successor. Choose a shepherd who will lead this congregation that belongs to you. Moses understood the nation of Israel didn't belong to him. They belonged to the Lord. It was the Lord's congregation. I've often asked myself, how would I respond if I was Moses and the Lord said, Brad, your 40-year dream is toast? I'd probably beg for a second chance, right? And we know that Moses did just that. The entire book of Deuteronomy, by the way, is a retelling, a recounting of God's dealings with Israel. Moses in the book of Deuteronomy is preparing the second generation of Israelites for the conquest of Canaan. The first generation has died in the wilderness now. So he's talking to their children. And he recounts to the second generation what Yahweh, the God of Israel, has done for the nation in the past. He recounts the history of that 40-year operation in the wilderness and God's dealings with them in the land of Egypt. That's the book of Deuteronomy. 
He also tells them what God expects of them and what God's going to do for them in the future. Moses also tells this next generation his own failings. He's very transparent. He tells them that God has denied him entrance into the land of Canaan, and Moses is extremely truthful about his own sin. Deuteronomy 3.23, Moses is recounting for this next generation this event, and he says, I also pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts of yours? Let me, I pray, cross over and see the fair land that is beyond the Jordan, that good hill country and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough, speak to me no more of this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes to the west and north and south and east and see it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go across at the head of this people, and he will give them as an inheritance the land which you will see. Here's the principle. <clears throat> Ultimately, it is God who chooses and prepares those who will lead his people. Ultimately, it is God who chooses and prepares those who will lead his people. We know that after God was asked by Moses, Lord, appoint somebody over this nation to lead them after I'm gone, that God chose Joshua. Furthermore, God immediately commanded Moses to commission Joshua, to encourage him, to strengthen him, for the work that God called him to do. This was a rather large task. I'm intrigued, and I want to ask us, how many of us, if we were terminated from our job today, would be immediately willing to turn around and teach our successor everything we knew? You're fired, by the way. Teach your successor everything you knew and do it with joy. Really? Yeah, if you pay me severance for three years, I might be interested, but fact that I'm off the scene now. See, Moses has been told, not only are you not going to the promised land, you're going to die now. Interesting how people respond to that news. When King Saul was told by the prophet Samuel at a seance that he was going to die the next day in battle at the hand of the Philistines, 1 Samuel 28 tells us he fell down on the ground and fainted. When King Hezekiah was mortally ill, the prophet Isaiah said to him, set your house in order, you are going to die. Well, Hezekiah didn't want to accept that. It says he turned his face to the wall, he wept bitterly and begged God to spare his life based on all the good that he had done. And God said, okay. I'll give you 15 years. Now, if you had 15 years to live, you would probably count the days because you knew the date of your death, 15 years. In that 15-year period, he happened to have a son named Manasseh who was the wickedest king in all of Judah and undid all the good that Hezekiah did. Sometimes it's a better you should have died. And not live, because God knows what's going to follow after that. Now Moses, in contrast to both Hezekiah and Saul, he doesn't whine, he doesn't faint. He simply asks God to choose the next leader of Israel because he's not thinking about himself. He is a selfless shepherd who's thinking about what's good for the sheep. And in that sense, Moses really illustrates the heart of the good shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew 9, um, it records that Jesus is traveling throughout the region of Galilee and he's performing many miracles and he's attracting great crowds who he's teaching and healing. And Matthew 9.36 reveals the heart of our King Jesus, our good shepherd. It says, seeing the people, he, Jesus, felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers 
into his harvest. Moses exemplified a humble shepherd who led the people of Israel, the sheep of Israel, for 40 years. Jesus Christ, of course, is the divine shepherd, the Son of God, who laid down his life for the sheep so that those who trust in him can live forever with him in heaven. And Jesus calls you and I to shepherd, to lay down our lives and our interests for the benefit of others by telling them how they can know the good shepherd and go to heaven when they die. So Moses is this selfless shepherd, and he's interested in what the flock of God needs, not in his own self-interest. Scripture tells us he was the humblest man who ever lived, and of course we see that at work here. Picking up the narrative back in Numbers 27, verse 18, Moses says, Lord, appoint a shepherd. God says in Numbers 27, 18, the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him and have him stand before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation and commission him in their sight. You shall put some of your authority on him in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him. Moreover, he shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his command they shall go out, and at his command they shall come in, both he and the sons of Israel with him, even all the congregation. You can underline verse 22. Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. And he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Here's the principle. A successful leadership transition requires that the current leader proactively pass the baton of authority to the next prepared leader. A successful leadership transition requires that the current leader proactively pass the baton of authority to the next prepared leader. You know, in a foot race, the most critical part of a relay race is the handoff. Foot races and faith races are won or lost during the handoff. In 2016, at the Rio de Janeiro Olympics, the women's 4x400 relay team dropped the baton during the handoff between Allison Felix and English Gardner. Felix, who had the baton, was getting ready to pass it to Gardner, and she was jostled by a Brazilian sprinter and hit the baton, hit the track before it got past. In organizations, problems often occur because the leader carrying the baton doesn't want to let go of it. They like the power and the authority, and they refuse to pass the baton onto the next leader. So they try and run with the baton until the day they drop dead, and that usually harms both the organization the business, the church, whatever it happens to be. Leaders who refuse to let go of the baton create chaos when they die, and many times chaos while they're still alive because they are self-centered. I like the baton of authority, and I'm not willing to pass it at an appropriate time because their identity is tied up with what they do instead of what God is in their life. You know... There will come a time what is best for others is no longer you. It's somebody else. There will come a day. We impose term limits because some legislators find it impossible to give up power. In ancient Rome, the most common method to enforce a leadership change was assassination. Now, that'll do the trick if you're trying to change leaders. We all know leaders who won't let go. Some parents have a really hard time letting go as their children mature. The whole point of parenting is to work yourself out of a job. You know you've done a good job when your children don't need you to run their life. They can do that themselves. This does not happen at 12 years old. But by 32, it's way overdue. Okay, just saying. 
I know there's a failure to launch, to quote a famous movie, but nonetheless, there's an appropriate time when the baton of leadership gets passed from you as a parent to the next generation, and you let go of the baton, right? It means you get out of the way and you cheer them on as they run their race of faith. And they will not run their race of faith like we run our race of faith. And for people who are control freaks, I'm looking in the mirror, Brad, that can sometimes be a problem. So trust the Lord to lead their life, even if they're not doing it like you think they should. God is always working, right? We sing that. Now, Moses was not a control freak. He understood that God had an eternal plan for Israel and that he was just a little bitty part of God's plan for Israel. Now, let's kind of review the big picture. The big picture is God wanted to redeem the planet for himself. He was going to use Israel as a vehicle to bless the whole world. So he called Abraham out of an idol-worshipping pagan culture in Ur of the Chaldees, and he said, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I'm going to bless the entire world through your family and your descendants. So Abraham and Sarah had Isaac at 100 years old and 90, and then obviously Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Jacob had 12 sons, and they grew into a family of about 70 people. God took that Jacob's family of 70 people into Egypt for 400 years. In Egypt, he had two purposes. One, multiply them into a great nation, about two, two and a half million people. And number two, get them out of Canaan, because Canaan was an evil, wicked place, and he really put them in the incubator in Goshen, where they were isolated from the Egyptians. And so they were not corrupted by the pagan cultures of the era. God had always planned for Israel to come back and possess the land of Canaan that he promised to Abraham about 2200 B.C. So this is several hundred years later, after 400 years. God allowed Israel to experience slavery. And you say, why would God allow them to do that? Well, if they had been living in the lap of luxury in Egypt, do you think they would be willing to cross a desert into a land that they didn't know about? Probably not. The hardships in Egypt were preparing them and motivating them to be willing to follow God by faith through the desert into the promised land. When God's time was right, he raised up Moses to be their human deliverer and lead them out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. It took God 80 years to prepare Moses for that role. First 40 years of Moses' life were spent in Pharaoh's court. He was learning all the wisdom of Egypt. He was the crown prince. He got all the knowledge and leadership abilities. He was a general in the armies. You can read that in Acts 7. The second 40 years, he was spent in the desert, isolated, alone, learning to shepherd sheep. Quite a change of job description. The last 40 years of Moses' life were spent shepherding God's people in the wilderness. So he spent two-thirds of his life in the desert. I'm sure there were times when he thought, you know, when I was working for my father-in-law Jethro in the desert shepherding sheep, my life was a lot happier than here I am in the desert with two and a half million complainers. But God, that was the plan for Moses. So God had spoken to Moses face-to-face -face on Mount Sinai, gave him the law that Israel was supposed to follow. So Moses' job description was deliverer, lawgiver, shepherd leader. Israel now is on the edge of the promised land. They're ready to invade and conquer Canaan. What they need now is not a lawgiver. They need a military commander. And God has one ready and waiting. And his name is Joshua. Joshua was really the logical successor to Moses. He, Joshua had grown up in Egypt in slavery, and he was tempered by the hardships of that. Joshua had been, for the last 40 years, Moses' personal assistant, and, and, and understudy. Joshua was the general of Israel's army when they fought the Amalekites and, and beat them in battle. Joshua actually went partway up Mount Sinai with Moses. He didn't go all the way to the top when he got the law, but he went partway up. God had commanded that, gave him the law. Along with Caleb, 
Joshua was only one of two who followed God and urged Israel to go into the promised land at Kadesh Barnea. Remember the 12 spies came back and 10 of them gave a bad report. Joshua and Caleb uh, gave a good report and they said, we need to go into the land. However, when the rest of the nation refused to trust and obey God, Joshua and Caleb got stuck spending 40 years squeezing sand between their toes, not because of their sin, but because of the nation's sin. How would you feel if you got stuck spending an additional 38 years wandering around the desert and you were the one who said, let's obey and go in, but you got stuck because of somebody else's sin? Has anybody's sin ever impacted you? Of course. And it's going to continue to. That's the nature of living in this planet. Our sin does impact each other. And what's fascinating is you never hear Joshua or Caleb complaining about spending 40 years in the desert. They maintained faithfulness, they maintained obedience, and they followed God regardless of circumstances. And the key to their success was that, number one, they both believed God, and they both were filled with the Holy Spirit. God says five times in Scripture that Caleb followed the Lord as God fully because he had a different spirit than the rest of the nation. And right here in this passage, God tells Moses that Joshua was filled with the Spirit, which refers to not only Joshua's Spirit, but the Holy Spirit. So Joshua has the same Holy Spirit that you have. And God has equipped you and I to do the things that he wants us to do through the power of the Holy Spirit in exactly the same way that he equipped Joshua. We can never do God's work without God's guidance and power. You know, whatever God calls us to do, he equips us to do. As a matter of fact, I'm going to put a statement on you and you can think about it. Your whole life up to this point in time has been prepared for you to do what God is calling you to do right now. Every experience you've had, every decision you've made, every piece of scar tissue you've picked up, your obedience, your disobedience, your family structure, your work history, your aptitudes, your talents, everything that has happened in your life up to this point in time has been custom designed by God to prepare you to do now what he's calling you to do. And he has work for you to do. And he's equipped you already to do it. So when God calls you to do something, step out in faith and say what? Here am I, send me, like Isaiah said. Yes, Lord, yes. We may feel overwhelming by what God calls us to do, but remember, God is not depending on your strength to get it done. God's depending on his strength. You have God himself living in you. And he will give us the power we need in order to accomplish whatever he calls us to do. And Joshua's got a big job description. Can you imagine following Moses who talked to God face to face? You're going to take over for him. God said, Moses, take Joshua, lay your hand on him before Eliezer, the high priest, and all the people. This is a legal and public commissioning or inauguration, if you will, of Joshua as Israel's next leader. And every four years we have an inauguration where we inaugurate the president. Well, this was a 40-year inauguration. Joshua is now being formally commissioned, uh, if you will, to be Israel's next leader. And it took place at the Tent of Meeting at the Tabernacle where the congregation normally met. This word commission literally means to give a command or to charge. It has to do with, here's what you are to do. And Deuteronomy tells us that Moses encouraged Joshua. Moses commanded him to not fear because God was going to fight for Israel. Joshua was given his job description. Just a small job description. You know, nothing major. Cross the Jordan River, conquer the entire land of Canaan, and then divvy it up between 12 tribes. No problem. I mean, you do that in an afternoon. It's going to require the power of God himself to get that job done. And the last thing Moses Joshua was commanded, you can find this in Joshua chapter 1, is read the word of God, study the word of God, obey the word of God. Joshua 1, over and over that was repeated. So God said, Moses, I want to put some of your authority on Joshua so that the nation will follow him after you're gone. 
We tend to think that that's probably some sort of shared leadership responsibility. So for this last few months, they might have had somewhat of a co-regency where Joshua was governing with Moses. But it's interesting to note that Joshua was not a clone of Moses. They were very different people with very different skills and very different temperaments. God revealed his will to Moses directly. Anytime God wanted to say something, Moses said, Moses, come to the tent of meeting. They sit down and talk. Face to face, sit down and talk. That wasn't going to be true with Joshua. If Joshua wanted to find out what God's will was, he was going to have to talk to Eliezer, the high priest, who would inquire for God, and then he would find out what the will of God was through the priest. So Joshua would never know God as intimately as Moses did, but God would nevertheless guide him. So the people of Israel were to follow Joshua in the same way they'd follow Moses, and in fact they did because they recognized that the Spirit of God was on Joshua and in Joshua as well. Verse 22 tells us something rather interesting, and I encourage you to do a little word study in this if you're looking for something to do. The text says that Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. Now, if they could put that on your gravestone with your name in front of it, that would be a remarkable epitaph if you could do it with integrity. So-and-so did just as the Lord commanded him. That would be a marvelous memorial. Uh, Moses and Joshua are really good models for us today. Uh, every leader is equipped by God for the specific work that God's called them to do. You're not called to do what your neighbor's called to do. You're called to do what God's called you to do. And each leader has been prepared by God to serve the needs of God people at that time. You know, it's interesting. Many people with the skills and the temperament to create and found an organization from scratch don't have the skills to manage the thing after it matures. That's why wise founders or their boards will hire a CEO to operate the organization. You know, Bill Gates was the founder and majority shareholder of Microsoft, and he left that CEO role in January of 2000 when he was 44 years old. And the board hired a number of CEOs until we have the one we have right now at, over at Microsoft. Steve Jobs wasn't even given the option. He was in his 20s, and the board of Apple said, you will hire a CEO. You will bring adult supervision to this organization, because he was in his 20s. And in 1983, Jobs persuaded John Scully to leave PepsiCo, if you recall, and be the CEO of Apple. So God knew exactly what Israel needed going forward. It wasn't a lawgiver. It was a general. And God told Moses, I want you to appoint Joshua as the next leader of Israel because that's what my people need at this point in time. In Deuteronomy 31, Moses is recounting this to the nation at the very end of his life, and it says, So Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to come and go. And the Lord has said to me, You shall not cross this Jordan. It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy those nations before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord had spoken. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 14, Behold, the time for you to die is near. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting that I may commission him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves at the tent of meeting, verse 23. Then God commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the sons of Israel into the land which I swore them, and I will be with you. Underline that. That is the crucial phrase in all of this. Here's the principle. God's people must trust in God who is eternal and not in human leaders who are temporary. God's people must trust in God who is eternal, and not in human leaders who are temporary. So Moses is 120, and Joshua is about 80 years old. All leaders, all parents, all grandparents, need to accept the reality that there is an expiration date on your service. There's an expiration date on your life. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4, 6, the time of my departure is at hand. At hand is close. I can reach out and touch it. 
Right near the end of his life, the apostle Peter wrote, quote, the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, just as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, 1 Peter 1.14. For a leader to deny the inevitable is inexcusable. It harms them and the organization they lead. God's told Moses, you're not going to cross the Jordan because it's time for you to die. Moses' successor, Joshua, is going to lead the nation into the promised land. Moses tells the people, far more important that Moses' leadership or Joshua's leadership is the Lord's leadership. God is the one who Israel should focus on. God is the one who's going to go before them. Whoever the human leader is, God's going to work through them. But the most important thing is that the Lord's going to go before them into the land, dispossess their enemies so they can inherit the land. So the focus of our faith should always be on God, not on people. Satan will always try and get you to look to people, and people will break your heart every time because they're fallible. If your faith is in people, you're going to be angry, disappointed, dispirited. People are not going to live up to your expectations, and you don't live up to theirs. We cannot give each other grace unless our focus is on Jesus. And if our brothers or sisters fail us, and they will, we ask God for the grace to forgive them, and we ask them for grace to forgive us. Because our focus is on Jesus Christ and not each other. God does use people to accomplish His purposes. There's no doubt about it. And He wants to use you. But our faith should always be grounded in God. And one of the things you love about Valley Baptist Church, the leadership here will always be about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. Psalm 46 is an incredibly direct psalm. And it says in verse 3, Do not trust in princes, in mortal man in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth, and that very day his thoughts perish. In contrast, verse 5, how blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. So God is commissioning Joshua. God says, you, Joshua, be strong and courageous. I'm going to go before you, but I'm going to use you as the human leader of Israel. By the way, Joshua's going to need all the courage he can get because he's invading a land with armies that are far larger than theirs. However, Israel's not to depend on our own strength, but on the Lord God who created the heavens and the earth. We have a song we sing. I think we sang it last week. It, it says that God is a way-making, miracle-working, promise-keeping, right? God, this God is going before them into Canaan. Israel's greatest weapons, it's not swords, it's not spears, it's not human brilliant leaders. It's God's promise that he will go before them and be with them. And you say, well, okay, what does that mean to us? This God of Israel is our God. Same God, yesterday, today, and forever. God is still making a way where there is no way. Some of you are in circumstances where there is no way. There is no way. There is no human way forward. There is no human solution to the problems that you face. God will make a way where there is no way. In His time, according to His purpose. God is working miracles today. He's a miracle-working God. He's going before us today in the exact same way that He went before Israel into Canaan. I know that the battles you and I fight are not with swords and spears, like Israel's going to have to. But I also know that you look ahead in your life and you see the issues and you see the opposition and you see the battles, and it might be health battles, it might be family battles, it might be financial battles, and it feels like you're going into battle just like Israel did with Canaan. The good news is, is God's already there. 
The intriguing part of this whole process of going into Canaan is God's already in Canaan. It's his land. He owns it. So whatever Monday holds for you tomorrow, God's already there waiting for you. He's here now too, but he's there tomorrow. There's nothing that's going to happen to you tomorrow that God has not already approved. If he doesn't approve it, it's not going to happen. God knew exactly what Israel was going to face when they crossed the Jordan. They had no clue, but God was there. God is still keeping his promise to be with us wherever we go. See, the greatest good and the greatest power of life has nothing to do with circumstances. It's the presence of God. God told Joshua, I will be with you. No matter how desperate our circumstances, no matter how big our problems, the solution is always the same. God's presence with us. He's present. The issue is, are we paying attention? Do we believe that? Do we live by that? Do we trust that promise? Jesus told a parable of two houses. House built on a rock, house built on the sand. And he said, if you know the truth, if you know my word, and you don't do it, you don't obey it, you've got the knowledge, you just don't have the obedience, you're building your house on the sand. And the rains will come, and the floods will come, and the tides will come, and the storms of life will come, and they will wash the house away, the life away, because it's not built on the rock even though you know the truth. You just didn't happen to get around to obeying it. You hadn't lived your life in accordance with it. Contrast that, he says, a wise person builds their house on the rock, and that's when you know the truth and you live it. You order your life by the truth that you know. That's building your house on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And the rains will come, and the storms will come, and the floods will come, and the hurricanes will come. They happen to everybody alike. We all get hurricanes, but your house will stand. Now, you might not have much paint left by the time the hurricane is, but it says the house will stand because the focus is on what? The foundation. And what secures your life is not what you know. It's what you do with what you know. And we know what you believe by how you behave. So you can look in the mirror and say, am I living according to the truth that Jesus Christ gave me? And by faith and obedience, I will build my life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And even though the storms will come, I will never be shaken. And that's what God's call to Moses and God's call to Joshua was. So this is a look at a leadership transition. This was Moses passing the baton to Joshua. Now, very practically speaking, you and I are going to pass the baton. Yes? You may voluntarily choose it, or they may pry it from your cold, dead fingers, but you will be letting go of the baton. I see lots and lots and lots of cases where usually dad says, I don't want to deal with it. They can pick up the pieces when I'm dead. And I get to work with the children who say some very interesting things about their parents who refused to take care of business while they were alive. Yes, you've probably seen that happen. Or people that fail to plan and then wind up in a nursing home or needing care and the adult children have to completely rearrange their life to care for mom and dad because mom and dad didn't plan. That's called passing the baton by default. That's not passing it. That's dropping it in the water and making your children go fish for it. Yes, if your children were here, we would have some interesting conversations. So really, really think about proactively passing the baton of whatever responsibilities you have. It might be parenting. It might be work. It might be money. It might be health. It might be all these things. But ask yourself, who's the baton of faith getting passed to? And how am I doing that? Um, we have a new grandchild, and Marin and I, after praying about it, made a decision that Brad was going to work four days a week starting January. And we spend 10 hours a day with our grandson every Friday. 
all day. And I have one chance for him to know Jesus. And it's our passion that he's going to swim in the ocean of the love of Jesus 10 hours a day when he's with us on Fridays. And there's a whole lot of things that we could be spending Fridays doing, but there's nothing of eternal consequence that matters like that. I want to pass the baton prayerfully and carefully and thoughtfully. And every Thursday, we're praying our eyes out, Lord, what do you want to happen on this Friday? And he's seven months old, and I have no idea what's going in. But I know whatever it is, it's going in. So your baton pass, you may say, well, I don't have 10 hours to do with my grandchildren, but you got prayer. You ought to be praying 724, 24, 7, 365 for those grandchildren because the Holy Spirit can go where you can't go. The Holy Spirit can bring truth into their lives and your adult children's lives too, and you can't go there. But He can. And there's tremendous power. That's passing the baton of faith to the next generation. And that's far more important than passing the baton of stuff. You can pass the stuff, that's fine. It's going in the landfill. But the baton of faith says, I want my great, great, great children in heaven, and for that to take place, that baton needs to get passed. And you may look and say, well, my, grand, my children aren't necessarily walking with the Lord. Great, pray for them, go to the grandchildren. Buy time where you can. Let the Lord redeem that time. Amen? Amen. All right, let's summarize, and then Tom or Marty will come to lead us. Number one, some choices create unchangeable consequences, but for God's people, and this gives me such comfort, God's grace causes all things to work together for good, no matter how bad my decisions have been. Number two, shepherd leaders put the needs of those they serve before their own desires. This is family, grandchildren, etc., etc. Serve, not self. Number three, ultimately it is God who chooses and prepares those who will lead his people. Number four, a successful leadership transition requires that the current leader proactively pass the baton of authority to the next prepared leader. And if the, if the next leader is not prepared, that's our job, to help prepare the next leader. And lastly, God's people must trust in God who is eternal, not in human leaders who are temporary. And for those of us who are really prayerfully considering how we pass the baton, as we age, the baton will get passed. We need to have our focus and our faith in Almighty God. I love you all. Thank you for your faithfulness. Next week, we'll take a look, Lord willing, at the death of Moses. God wrote his obituary. Very, very instructive. And then, Lord willing, we'll be starting in Romans uh, in March. I love you all. Now that you know. You've been listening to Manna at Valley Baptist Church. To hear this lesson and more, subscribe to our podcast, Manna at Valley Baptist Church, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Manna is taught by Brad Hannock and meets at Valley Baptist Church at 4800 Fruitvale Avenue in Bakersfield, California. We believe in doing life together, and we encourage you to join us on Sunday morning. For more information, visit manapodcast.com. Thank you for studying with us. And now that you know, do.